is from Mark 8, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmatia. Thanks, Cindy. Have you guys ever had to learn something a few times before it finally stuck? I feel like that's my life on a regular basis, especially as a dad. I feel like there's this part of me as a, as a, as a dad that, like, I, I feel like just innate within me is I got to help my kids experience new adventures, new thrills. But I'm also learning that I need to, like, be sensitive of their age and development and not push it too far, which I've run into trouble with a couple of times here. Uh, I remember, for instance, with Caleb, when he was real little, actually before he was one, before he was hardly walking, um, this guy used to love the water. He used to, he used to love the water. Bath times, times in the hotel pool were the best ever. Um, and I remember uh, we took him to the beach for the first time. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to take my kid into the, into the, be- into the, in the ocean. And so I start, I pick up my little, you know, eight-month-old and I start going towards the breakers. And Cindy, from over my shoulder, is like, um, are you sure you want to do that? Uh, I don't think that's going to go well. Those waves are pretty rough. I'm like, my son is a son of a swimmer, son of a lifeguard. He's going to, this is going to be great. And so I take him out there and he's having fun learning like how the sand and water meet and all that. And then, oh man, that one wave. One wave. I just, I thought, I mean, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. I thought, I thought with like all my abilities, I'd be able to like prevent what happened from happening. Um, that one wave came and just crashed down on him. And along with that, crashed down all his like love for the water. <laughs> I mean, it became like, you know, even bath times. And we were still doable, but going into the pool two years later, two years later, we were, we were those people in swim lessons. You know, all the other kids at like three years old, like, water, fun. It's like our Caleb was, was not enjoying it, um, to be uh, nice about it. Um, and the whole time I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, your, your dad jacked you, son. Sorry. <laughs> and you'd think that I would learn that lesson, but this has happened a couple of times. Like for with Maddie, she used to love dogs. She used to <laughs> love dogs. She, you know, back when she was just learning to walk, I'm like walking with her down the street, just some random day. I think we're going to the park. I forget what we're doing. There's a dog coming up, little itty bitty dog. Okay. I'm like, hey, Maddie loves dogs. She's going to love to learn to pet dogs. And so we go up and this is a nice dog. And of course, this little itty bitty dog knocks over little itty bitty Maddie. And from then on, Maddie is like, I mean, to this day, she's now almost three. uh, If there's like a wiener dog, like she has to go on the other side of the street to avoid it. And just like, okay, last story. So uh, the other one was, 
my, uh, Caleb used to love roller coasters um, and, and little itty-bitty rides. Um, we were at a Happy Hollow in San Jose, and uh, if you know, they're, they're mainly like these little itty-bitty slow things. But there's one roller coaster for like five, six-year-olds, that sort of thing. Well, one, one time, uh, Cindy took little baby Maddie at the time to the bathroom, and I said, Caleb, <laughs> let's go on the roller coaster. And we got off. And here's how it went. So, he, he, so first of all, he just, I mean, he's just holding on to that rail as, long, as much as possible. And I'm like, wasn't that fun? He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and we go to tell mommy, and Cindy's like, you did what? And I'm like, you like roller coasters, right? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, do you want to go on it again? No, no. And, you know, that's been our life since. So, yeah, I mean, I am trying to get to the place where I'm learning, okay, I need to be a little bit more sensitive to, m- to my kid's age. I promise I'm not that horrible of a, of a dad. But we, there's, there's things in life that we have to learn and relearn. Are there not? And I feel like that's the case in the spiritual journey. Uh, that's the case here in this text for Jesus and these disciples. For those of you who were with us uh, a couple weeks back, it is almost a verbatim, word-for-word repeat of the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 that we now see in chapter 8 as we've made our way today. I love working through a book because we get to see things that if I were to read this text, this chapter 8, Feeding the 4,000, I would never see some of the insights in here that I think are absolutely meant to be here for us in the context in which they were. Things that had just literally happened word for word are now repeating themselves. Why? Well, Jesus has been teaching these guys. He's been mentoring them. He's been bringing them along. And he's saying, you know what? If there's a lesson, if there's a few lessons you guys need to really learn, you need to really relearn, this needs to be it, here's what they are. Uh, What are they and what do they mean for us? That's what we're going to be looking at today. So there's two lessons, uh, two two lessons revisited that we've already been talking about here uh, while we've been working through Mark. And then we're going to pull it together and understand um, the best we can. What does this mean for us? So let me pray, and then we'll we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this community of followers. Uh, Thank you for this community of folks uh, who are just coming together wherever we're at in our spiritual journey. Just to, um, my prayer is encounter you. We just want to be touched by your spirit. Um, Would these words uh, be your words? And would you you touch us each where um, we need to be this morning? We, We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first lesson that's revisited just immediately starts coming out here in the, in the, in the first verses. It's really throughout the whole text, but just to kind of give us the vibe, let me reread uh, the first four verses. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Okay, that's already, Mark is signaling to us, here's a repeat of events that's getting ready to happen. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Which is just hilarious, right? Because that's the same thing they said to the same circumstance two chapters ago, one page in my Bible. Um, And so I want to just do this real quickly. Uh, I looked at some of the parallel uh, details here from chapter 6 of feeding the 5,000 to uh, today's chapter 8. Let's just look at these real quickly. It, both of them refer to Jesus' compassion on the crowd. Both of them refer to the, the group being hungry, needing food. Both of them recur, have the disciples' response of, how are we going to do this? This is impossible. It makes no sense, Jesus. Both of them have Jesus saying, how many loaves do you have? He asked. 
Oh, I'm sorry, in chapter 8 it says Jesus asked. Okay, so it's a little different there. I mean, all, the, and then how many, they said, you know, five in the first sense with a couple of fish. This time they had seven. Okay, they have more to work with, I guess, and a few small fish. Uh, he gave thanks and broke loaves, and then he dis- gave it to the disciples to distribute. Same thing in chapter 8. He gave thanks. Disciples distributed the food. Verse 42, chapter 6, they all ate and were satisfied. Same thing, chapter 8, the people ate and were satisfied. Again, the disciples picked up afterwards. The disciples picked up afterwards. And then there's this thing about they get in the boats after they feed the crowd. I guess that's the thing you do is you get in the boat. So they got in the boat, and Jesus dismissed the crowd both times. All these parallel details here with, by the way, enough contrast, uh, excuse me, enough differences, for instance, the side of the crowd and, and a couple other details I haven't mentioned, enough differences for people, for scholars to say, you know what, these are separate accounts, but enough parallels to say, okay, what's going on here? Like, seriously? Jesus is revisiting some lessons here. And the first one he says here, the first one as, as I see it, has to do with this one word that everything hinges upon, and that is he had compassion on the crowds. Chapter 6, it said, Mark said, Jesus had compassion, therefore he, and then fed 5,000. This time Jesus says, I have compassion, and he feeds the 4,000, which is amazing. Think about this for a second with me. If Jesus has one lesson that he's been teaching them, that he wants to revisit with them, he's been teaching them a lot. Has he not, as we've been working through the book of Mark? Of all the lessons, this is the lesson he has. Not, hey, get your act together. Be more holy. Or today's vernacular, go to church, read your Bible, say your prayers. All very important things. What Jesus spends time developing here is like if you want to revisit we need to revisit a lesson here it is live with compassion live with compassion love others if you want to get one thing get that love others now real quickly what what is compassion just to remind us for those of you um, who weren't here with us last time i'll just highlight some of these because this is a bit of a bit of a recap the word compassion here is a is a very very profoundly uh meaningful word uh, it has, it's a very ancient word in the original language. It goes back actually long before Jesus was on the scene. Um, but what it refers to within its own meaning is it refers to the lower abdomen, the, the, the intestines, which is kind of a, yeah, I had fun with this last time if you were here. It's like that's kind of a gross word to be referring to Jesus having towards others. But really, I mean, we understand, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll say like we have guts, like that person has guts, they're really brave and, and strong and all that sort of thing. What Jesus is not saying here is, I, I have warm fuzzies for these folks. Let's feed them. No, what he's saying is, oh my goodness, I, I feel for these folks so much that it almost hurts on the inside. I care that much. I, I, I lo- we got to do something here. Which, by the way, is the second part of the meaning of compassion. Is It's not just sympathy happening in a vacuum. It is always moved to action. And so the definition we came up with last time was compassion is concern coupled with action. Um, and if there is something uh, that we uh, want to uh, be about here at a, a, as a church, it's we want to live with compassion. By the way, real quickly, um, just to add some to what we talked about last time, a new thought that I saw this week is compassion, the English word compassion, which I don't actually know if it has anything to do with the old Greek word, so whatever. Um, but the English word compassion actually literally means to suffer alongside to suffer with, which if you think about what that means coming out of Jesus' mouth, it's like, wow, okay. But we want to, as a church, live with compassion. Um, And uh, how are we going to do that? Well, it starts here. I mean, literally here, in this room. 
both instances of the feeding of the 5,000 and now feeding of the 4,000 is Jesus has compassion where he is. Now, it's easy for me to think, I mean, this is kind of, I love to think big. I love to be about big things. It's like, oh, those people over there need compassion. We need to get out there and do that. And yes, the church needs to be about those things. But what Jesus shows us is compassion starts right where you are, and that's right here in this room. We need to be loving and compassionate with those around us. Uh, I've sent uh, a very fascinating um, training video that Kaiser puts out um, for its um, doctors and its staff people. It's a video montage of people entering and exiting a hospital, coming in and out of doctor's appointments, passing each other in the hallway or on the escalator. And with each of these people that the video uh, highlights, you see a different facial expression. Some people are just absolutely elated. Some people have thought, you know, looks of concern. Most folks are just, you know, every day you can't really read what's going on. But as they're walking by or doing their thing, a little text box pops up over their head to kind of help us understand what's going on under the surface. And so with some, you know, a couple that's going up the escalator, you know, she has her hand on her tummy, and they both have smiles that they barely can contain, and that up pops the text box, it's a girl, I always wanted to have a girl, that kind of thing. And then, you know, on the other side, the escalator coming down is a guy who has, you know, an older gentleman who has a, a thought of concern. It's like, oh, no, I wonder if the test results will show it's benign or not. And then there's another guy waiting for his appointment with the doctor, and he's rocking back and forth, and the, the tech box shows, should I tell my doctor today that it, I don't want to get out of bed in the mornings? Or the guy exiting that uh, doctor's appointment with an elderly woman saying, oh, I'm so glad my mother's going to make it. And of course, what's the point there with that kind of, uh, that video, that illustration? It's the, it's the idea of we all carry with ourselves struggles and joys, ups, and downs. And as great as we need our caretakers, our doctors, thinking about these things, living from these things, Jesus models for us, and the New Testament goes on to share, the church needs to live out being compassionate in these ways. Uh, thinking about others, being there for others. This week in our, our men's uh, Bible study group, our current group, uh, one of the guys said, you know what, I feel like at the end of the day, loving folks is really just getting to know people really well. And I was like, wow, I actually literally wrote it down. I was like, that's going to make a sermon. I mean, it's just so straightforward, but it makes so much sense, does it not? Paul said, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We all bring with ourselves life ups and downs. And we just need, as a church, we want to be there for you as we want you to be there for us. And so, to the and by the way, you know, as a church, we also we also recognize that that those sorts of relationships aren't don't go from zero to sixty in one day. It's like, hi, I'm David. What's your life problem? It's like, no, we just get to know each other, and as we have opportunity, relationship builds. We have the opportunity to invest in each other, be compassionate, and as we know each other, move to action in reaching, uh, uh, having a, meeting tangible needs. So we want to be doing that for each other. And by the way, if you're new or you've been here a couple of times, we want to especially do this for you. Now you're hearing from a, a pastor's kid's uh, passion area. It's, it's, it, because it's so incredibly easy for churches to do this, and I'm not thinking of any in particular, but it's, it would be so incredibly easy for us as we grow as a church, as we get to know each other and are, and are living there for each other, to be about each other. But we want to build into our DNA, and, and I, I praise God because I feel like we're, we're already hearing lots of stories of this, but we want to we just make sure that we constantly are, are feeding this, that if anybody new comes here, and maybe this is you today, that we want to say, you know, you're welcome. 
come alongside. Here's an arm. We want you to be, we want to be there for you as we want you to be there for us. So living with compassion, and it starts with where we are. Um, the next thought uh, comes, from, uh, comes from the idea of who this crowd is and where it is. Okay, so the first lesson is live with compassion for others. The second thought comes from who this crowd is and where this crowd is. Um, so last week, if you were here with us, we talked about the faith of the Syrophoenician woman, uh, if you remember that. And what was interesting is at the very beginning of that, Jesus left where he was and went to a place called Tyre. Okay, now real quick recap on geography. Most of the time, Jesus spent uh, in near the Dead Sea, which is where Jerusalem was at the north, or the Sea of Galilee, and then there's the River Jordan to kind of separate him. This is where he did virtually all of his ministry. Tyre, on the other hand, was like way over here by the Mediterranean Sea. And so 50 miles, maybe 100 miles by foot, by the way, into hostile territory, Jesus traveled. It's hostile territory today. I mean, Syria, Jordan, all those countries are there. It, it was hostile territory then. Jesus was on what people call a missionary journey, which is fascinating because I think all of what Jesus is doing is a missionary journey, but that's what they call it. It's a missionary journey. And he went and he saw a woman there, a Greek Syrophoenician gal. So real quick recap. What he was doing there is, first of all, she's Greek. That meant it was a reference to her religion, uh, not her ethnicity. That's the Syrophoenician part, which we'll get to. It was a reference to her religion, meaning she worshipped pagan gods. And in this instance, what that meant was basically to the Jews at that time is they would have seen her as a Gentile. That would have been the word that they would have used. Spiritually unclean. And what's amazing about that is Jesus should not have been, according to their their structure, should not have been hanging out with people like this. And yet he was. Uh, the fact that she was a woman, by the way. Remember, this is first century Palestine. I mean, not 21st century, you know, in the West. Uh, rabbis, you know, guys by themselves would not associate with women on this kind of regard, but Jesus was engaging with them. And the fact that she was Syrophoenician, again, not to spend too much time on this, Josephus, the, jo Josephus, the first modern historian, describes the relationship between the Syrophoenicians and the Jews as, quote, mortal enemies. So it's just basically to say if there's somebody that Peter, James, and John, the disciples, the Jewish culture would have not expected, would have thought Jesus stay away, it's this woman, and yet Jesus engaged her, listened to her, provided healing for her daughter, and ultimately, as we talked about, not only did that stuff, honored her. Again, not to do all of last week's sermon, but the idea there was, he said, oh my goodness, this is the faith. This woman's faith is what I've been after. Religious leaders haven't, disciples, you haven't even figured out, oh, what faith she has. Now, today we pick up, Jesus is still in, quote, Gentile territory. He's no longer in Tyre. Chapter 7 tells us he's now in the Decapolis, which is, which is if you have the Sea of Galilee, it's on the eastern side, which is still heavily Roman, heavily Gentile, spiritually unclean territory. That's where he is. That's where he provides this feeding. Now, here's what's so fascinating to me about this. If you have a question coming to this text, especially given that he had just fed the 5,000 Right there, okay? One page back. It is this. How did the disciples not pick up on things? Like, how do they not know, okay, Jesus, uh, we've been here before. Here's some bread. Go do your thing. Let's feed. How is it that the disciples didn't figure that out? So 
you can imagine, biblical scholars are kind of working this through. One thought they, th- they had is like, you know what, it's not for, for being uh, unstubborn. These guys have proven that they're pretty stubborn, so they probably were just, that's probably part of it. But here's what's really fascinating to me. A few of these biblical scholars suggest that the reason the disciples didn't figure out why Jesus would, he- would provide for these people is because of who they were. And if that's true, that's like, oh my goodness. Are you following me? In other words, the disciples probably could have figured out, oh, we've been here before. Jesus knows how to feed a lot of people from the little loaves. We have loaves. We can do this. But the reason they didn't pick on on this time is suggested because they are Gentiles. And the truth is, whether or not that's the case or not, historically speaking, from the earliest of days in the church, the early church fathers look at this text as the great significance of, oh my goodness, Jesus healed, Jesus fed the Gentiles too. If there's a lesson revisited here, it's don't just live with compassion, live with compassion for others unlike you. And we talked about this last week. Again, I'm not going to delve into this one too much. You can go online. It's, we looked at the story of Jesus loving the foreigner. Um, but the whole thought there is God's love knows no boundaries. God's love knows no societal barriers. It loves, regardless of creed, regardless of lifestyle, regardless of political views, regardless of ideology, all of these things, it loves. And, uh, man, I just can't help, again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this was last, just last week, um, but, I mean, I can't help but think in today's climate how important how relevant this is for us to think about. There was a senator who went on the Senate floor uh, the other day, and it was really remarkable. He got up there, and actually in talking to his polit- side of the political aisle, he really got up there and said, guys, we got to stop this. We are just attacking, attacking, attacking them. We're just attacking, we're doing all these things. And he even said at one point, he's like, look, We've all seen the equivalent of C-SPAN of other countries like Parliament works, and they're throwing shoes at each other. I mean, fist fights and all that sort of thing. He's like, I'm not saying we're going there, but it sure feels like we're moving in that direction. He's like, we've got to stop calling each other names. We've got to stop. And it was amazing to me. He was talking mainly to his, especially in the context of what had just happened. He's like, we've got to stop doing this. And I was just, I was blown away by that. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, that, that really is the gospel. That is what Jesus calls the church to do, is regardless of how we see things or, or come at things differently, we just, you know what needs to pierce through all of that is love. But I think what happens so often is the way we approach things is, oh, I've, got, I've just got to convince them why the way I see things is right. Um, look, what is happening here is Jesus is not saying love um, and with the idea of their views have to change or your views have to change in order to, no, he's just saying love. And again, I'm not going to go through all of that again, but one thing that I think this text brings out is the, uh, helps me understand this thought that we might have, well, David, sometimes it feels like loving folks who uh, don't see things my way, what, what does that really accomplish? Like, what's the purpose in that? Like, how much does that actually help things? And what's fascinating about this text is of the comparison of the two crowds, of the comparison of any crowds, actually, this crowd by far was the most into Jesus. Uh, it's subtle here, but you see it. Verse 2, it says that they were with him for three days. Okay, that's three days, you know. But even more so in, in verse 2, 
it, Jesus is saying, they have already been with me for three days. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. But that word is actually one word. It's, it's the word remain. And what scholars help us understand is that word remain is actually a very strong word. It says they were actually, it, it had the force of they were committed to, they were intentionally with Jesus. And oftentimes, oftentimes, most often, crowds in the Bible are described as they're not really, they don't get it. They don't, they don't understand. But this crowd is unusually spoken of in positive terms. In other words, if you're a disciple, you're thinking, Jesus, why would you feed these folks? What difference is it going to make? And yet these folks were more receptive to Jesus than the other crowds and the folks back in the place that you would have thought. What does that mean for us? I just, we just need to love. Look, there's, there's a number of you here that I know uh, you know, you, you know, you're committing to loving folks or whatever, and you're saying, I don't know what difference it makes. Just keep loving. Just keep loving. We have the great privilege as followers of Christ, if that's how you identify yourself, that's, we have the great privilege of loving folks, and God's going to do what he's going to do. And often people are more receptive or doing more things under the ce- behind the scenes or whatever as you love. Talk to them about their marriage, talk about their work life, talk to them about spiritual things, whatever it might be. We just need to love. Um, so those are the two lessons. Live with compassion. Live with compassion for those unlike you. Now, pulling this together, what does this mean? I really, th- I really think this, this text uh, encourages us to ask this question. What lesson or lessons might you need to learn or relearn right now? I think, I think in the spirit of what we're, what we're reading here, we probably should start with how are we doing living with compassion? How are we living with compassion for others? But higher level, as, as Jesus is with these guys on his curriculum and his training schedule, he's just bringing up, he's like, guys, you guys need to work on this. You need to think about it. What are some areas in your life where maybe you feel like, you know, life-wise, they just keep popping up and you think about, okay, how, how should I be changed by this? For starters, I mean, maybe, maybe spiritually speaking, you don't call yourself a, a Christ follower or whatever, but you're just checking things out. May, wherever you might be, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of people in the Silicon Valley that are, uh, this is kind of a duh statement, are driving really hard at work, killing it, doing awesome things, but are also questioning, is this it? Is this all there is? And if this is you, what Jesus shows us here in this text is, you know how he wants to let himself be known to you? It's through his compassion. It's through his love. Uh, this is, I don't have time to go into this, but the very next verse, some Pharisees, some religious leaders come up to him and, and just ask for a sign from heaven. Jesus, just give us a sign and we'll believe in you. And Jesus sighed deeply. This is verse 12. Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? Which he had just multiplied the loaves. Jesus is like, I want to win you over through love. And so we need to love. Or if you are a follower of Christ, is there something in your life that just keeps kind of propping up? It's like, you know, you just need to think about, learn, relearn. And I, of course, I don't know what that might be. I mean, we're all on different, you know, God's curriculum or life circumstances. But just asking yourself that question. Here's what I love about Jesus in all of this. Uh, there's many things I love about Jesus. But here's what I love about Jesus in this text is when the disciples say, but where in this remote place are we going to get enough bread? He doesn't rip their heads off. Very next verse is, how many loaves do you have? It's like, I don't know about you, but I'd just be hitting my head. Jesus had every more right to hit his head. He said, how many loaves do you have? Okay, do you think we can do it, guys? Do you think? 
He is so unbelievably gracious and patient with us. Us, not just the disciples, us, because that's all of us. We're all like the disciples. We all just need, and you know what? His love, his grace, his patience is just there for you. One of the mind-boggling thoughts for me about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is that he died for sins past, present, and future. Okay, past, I get that part. That makes sense. He's washed clean, that sort of stuff. Present, that makes sense, similar deal. Future? Now, if we hear that thought and we think, oh, blink check. All right, let's go do whatever. God's going to free. And then we totally misunderstand the whole deal. But do you understand that God knows in his infinite wisdom that we're works in progress. We're not perfect, and he loves us, and that's the point. He's just going to stick with us, and for what purpose? Because he wants to love us, us love him, and he wants to equip us, mold us into people who can love others more and more. Case in point, Peter, who, by the way, is the source material for this gospel account, Mark. He was there for all these events. Peter, the, the apostle, the disciple, the main guy. He was there for the healing of the the Syrophoenician, he was there for the feeding of the 4,000, not to mention the 5,000. After the feeding of the 4,000, did he figure this whole thing out about having compassion for others? No, he did not. It would just be a short matter of time after Jesus left that G Peter would be the head guy, and God would say, you know what, I, wanna, I want you to love the Gentiles over there, a guy named Cornelius, you can look at it, it's Acts 10. I want you to love that guy, and Peter's like, I don't know. I don't know if I should go over there, love that guy. I'm, I'm not sure. God's like, you need to go. And so he finally goes. And then same thing. I don't know if I should love this guy. Cornelius is like, hey, I feel like God sent you here. And Peter's like, okay, I feel like i got to love you, so I'll love you, Gentile. And it's just amazing. And you'd think, okay, now Peter got it. Okay, he's seen the feeding the 4,000. He's seen, you know, someone like Cornelius. Galatians 2, just a little bit longer. He's in a, like a church function. They're all having dinner. All these Christians, some Gentiles, some Jews. And what does Peter do? He separates himself with his Jewish Christian friends having dinner. Excluding the Gentiles. Peter, same guy who's been here and all these sorts of things. Peter. And it says Paul, by that point, another apostle, had to come up and confront him. Which sort of makes sense. I mean, you think that you've got to kind of amp it up at some point. Peter, you're not getting this, dude. And so he comes, and, and Peter's like, oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. Here's what's amazing to me about the example of Peter. By the, towards the end of his life, he wrote First and Second Peter, which is beautiful, beautiful scripture written to Gentile churches. I was rereading it this week because I was just having this thought. And he has included in that, and Gentiles, you are a part of God's family. You are chosen. And what's more is history tells us Peter ultimately died a martyr in Rome, capital of Gentile country, loving Gentiles. How's that for life transformation? How's that for God's patience with him? And by the way, if you call yourself a Christian today, it very well could likely be because God was patient with Peter back then. And he wants to do the same with you and me today for others. And we're not going to get it right away going to be an extent and that's okay that's the, that's the point we're not perfect we're works in progress but we need to be thinking about this okay lord because of your patience your grace work in me would you change so are you living with compassion for others? are you living uh, compassion for others unlike you um and i would encourage you to, to all all of us i think this is such a wonderful prayer 
uh, that, that David wrote a thousand years before Christ even. So search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your patience and your grace. We just absolutely do not deserve the love that you send to us. And of course, this missionary journey that you were on to Tyre, to Gentile territory, was just a small picture of the far larger, far more profoundly beautiful picture, and that is you go on a missionary journey, leaving heaven to come to earth. And even those of us who should have figured it out, being hostile towards you, you're so kind and patient. And what, for what purpose? To love us. And through that love, to love others. Lord, we as a church want to be a church that lives with compassion. We want to be a church that lives with compassion for those unlike us. Would you help us in that? Because we just want to start here and now and say that we no doubt have blind spots to this. We no doubt have our own personal agendas, our own personal selfishnesses, all that sort of thing. Um, but we thank you that at the end of the day, um, you're the one who's working and moving. And that starts with us. So Lord, would you work in our hearts? We praise you in Jesus' name.